Well, hello there, Acadiana. I hope you guys had a fantastic, happy Easter. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. I know I had a good weekend, traveled up to Natchitoches to see family, spend some time with them. I had a great weekend, uh, got back to Lafayette actually just a few hours ago, and uh, just kind of been perusing the headlines, trying to get myself ready for the show today. Not a whole lot really going on over the weekend, although I do think it's pretty funny. The Biden administration, at the last minute on Friday, hoping to avoid a bunch of headlines, announced, the Interior Department announced it would allow oil and gas leases on 144,000 acres of public land. Did you hear that? It was briefly mentioned in newscasts across the country on Friday, and then not a word because everybody was worried about Easter. Well, the environmentalists heard about it, and they're not happy. Uh, from the Washington Post, this is pure climate denial, according to Jeremy Nichols, a climate and energy program director for Wild Earth Guardians, in a statement. While the Biden administration talks a good talk on climate action, the reality is they're in bed with the oil and gas industry. That's the quote from a climate change activist. Which is a silly quote, considering from the 2020 campaign, Biden said, no more drilling on federal lands. This is an actual quote. No more drilling on federal lands. No more drilling, including offshore. No ability for the oil industry to continue to drill, period, ends. That's what he said during the primary, the 2020 primary. And to claim that his administration is in bed with the oil and gas industry is just ludicrous. But, 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 but. The environmentalists know the Obama administration is sensitive to what they say, and they know that they can start putting more pressure on it. And so they're going to push for the Biden administration to reverse this. The problem is the Biden administration is governing via polling. I've told you all this before. Right now, the polling for Biden sucks. We'll get into that in a little bit. But the Biden administration is governing solely in reaction to what the polls say. And right now the polls show a lot of irritation over gas prices, over energy prices. So what they want to do is they want to allow drilling to go forward on public land. Here's how this works. Been over it before, but just in case you're new to the show, the oil and gas market, the oil market in particular, the price of oil is a futures market. All the Biden administration has to do is say they're going to allow something like this, and the price of oil drops. Now, that's for the price of oil. When we get to the actual production of gas, it is still very much a supply and demand issue. Right now, we need more supply. The price is far too high. Our energy sources are limited because the Biden administration has gone overboard in trying to limit how much domestic production there is. And as a result, the combination of high oil prices and limited production stateside has made for a nasty situation. Throw inflation into the mix and you've got a terrible situation the Biden administration cannot get itself out of. And that is what's making the media's defense Fence of Biden, even more ridiculous. John Harwood, who's a Democratic hack who now works for CNN, actually tweeted out, there's just not much President Biden can do about it. That is the media line over the weekend and into today. 
Analysis by John Harwood, CNN. Biden confronts a host of problems he can't do much to solve. There's just not much he can do to curb inflation. There's not much he can do to stop migrants from reaching America's southern border or to reduce crime or to make vaccine resistors get shots that would hasten the end of the coronavirus pandemic. There's not much he can do to compel cooperation from defectors within his thin Democratic congressional majorities. There's nothing at all he can do to compel it from Republican adversaries who would rather aggravate than alleviate his burdens. In other words, there's just not much Biden can do about the heaviest weights depressing his political standing, which has remained stuck in the avalanche warning zone for months. So his party faces the likelihood of a, subs of a substantial November election defeat that hands the House and perhaps the Senate to the GOP. Biden and his aides will spend the next seven months trying just the same, using the White House bully pulpit, executive authority, and international diplomacy. Marginal benefits represent the best they can hope for. That is the so-called analysis from a Democratic hack who now works as an analyst for CNN. And it's a straight-up lie. There's not much Biden can do to curb inflation, except experts on the left and the right agree that the $1.4 trillion Recovery Act contributed a lot to inflation. There's not much he can do to stop migrants from reaching America's southern border, except from the time he ran for president to now, his administration has encouraged migrants and has given all of the, all the signs for immigrants that they were going to let them over. And they're now ending Title 42, which allowed the southern border to turn away immigrants on the basis that there's a pandemic. And they want you to think there's still a pandemic, although they want to get rid of the CDC wants to announce that you can get rid of some of the mitigation efforts. But they have encouraged this immigration crisis at the border. There's not much he can do to compel cooperation from, de from defectors within his thin Democratic congressional majorities, Harwood says. Also a lie. All he had to do was listen negotiate with Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, come up with legislation that the majority could support, and go from there. But they couldn't even do that. Nothing he could do to compel it from Republican adversaries. Same thing. Biden ran on the platform that he was going to be the guy to bring everybody together, to a return to normalcy, bring everybody to the table. And he's done nothing but alienate the right every step of the way. This is solely on Biden's shoulders. There was something he can do. He chose not to do it. 232-1542, we're going to take a break. When we come back, the poll numbers continue to look worse. We'll talk about that and other issues here on The Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to The Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Glad to be with y'all this, uh, this wonderful, beautiful Monday afternoon. Uh, don't forget, the Easter season is weeks long, so your Easter trees better not be on the curb yet. You've got to wait until the Easter season is officially over. Uh, that is a joke specifically for the people who constantly complain about those throwing out their Christmas trees too early. 232-1542 if you want to call in and be part of the show. So the Biden administration has suffered a major setback on its uh, COVID mitigation agenda as a federal judge just in the last little bit has overturned the CDC's uh, travel uh, mask mandate. So 
This judge, a Trump-appointed judge, has struck down the Biden administration's uh, mask mandate for public transportation, including air travel, which is great news for me because toward the end of the week, I will be flying and I do not want to wear a mask flying between here and the Northeast. But the left are losing their absolute minds over this. They have already pushed out the uh, idea that this judge is unqualified, too young. Uh, they want to throw every simple, uh, every, every insult they can at this particular judge for daring to defy the Biden administration and for uh, undercutting and, and uh, blocking this mask mandate. And it's actually putting the Biden administration in a predicament. As of right now, the mask mandate, should it have been allowed, would expire on May the 2nd. And there was no indication that the CDC was going to extend it. So as of May the 2nd, the mask mandate for public transportation goes away. But if the Biden administration fights this ruling, that's a long legal battle that gets it reinstated with at minimum a couple days before it expires, or they simply extend it again, which would be deeply unpopular. It is unreal that we're in this position, but I'm, I just, I am so taken aback and I guess I shouldn't be, but I'm so taken aback by the left attacking this judge is too young and too unqualified. It's a, it's a woman. She's 35 years old. She was uh, nominated by Trump and approved by the U S Senate under Mitch McConnell. Um, Sam Stein, who is a leftist reporter was one of the ones out, uh, out the gate um, attacking this particular judge tweeting out uh the judge who made this ruling, Catherine Kimball, is 35 years old, was confirmed at the age of 33 during lame duck judiciary matters. The woman is too young to be given such responsibilities, is essentially what he's saying. People are pointing out that, well, the American Bar Association rated her as unqualified. So? The American Bar Association wasn't happy with a lot of uh, Trump's nominees, if you'll recall, and they've turned out to be pretty good judges. But that's where we are right now. The left has decided that they will absolutely go after every judge that dares to rule against the Biden administration, which is very, very interesting considering the left pushed for every judge in the country to stand athwart anything Donald Trump did. If Donald Trump coughed, the left took him to court under a liberal district judge. They weaponized the judiciary against Donald Trump. And now they're reaping the benefits of being on the other side of the table from that. The Trump administration very successfully got a lot of conservative judges on the bench across the country in federal courts. And now, despite the fact that they've got such good numbers, they've been fairly restrained in going up against and ruling against the Biden administration. But this is one of those issues where they are. And the ruling actually makes a lot of legal sense. The idea of uh, statutory limitations. The CDC has the ability to write some rules, but only the rules that are given to them by statute. They cannot just go out and make new rules for them to be able to 
uh, enforced. And that's what the public transportation mask mandate was. It was them giving themselves a new power in the federal government, despite that power having never been given to them by the by the legislative branch in the first place. And that's what this judge was saying. And so this judge is now being attacked by the left as too young and too unqualified solely because she made this ruling. If this were a liberal judge saying, uh, making a ruling against Donald Trump and someone on the right had said it, they would be attacked as a sexist in a heartbeat. But when you're on the left, you can get away with such things. And that brings me back to the poll numbers. Joe Biden's job approval right now, the average is about 11 points underwater. About 11 points. The latest one, the Rasmussen poll, has him at 10 points under. Before that, Reuters, Ipsos at 12 points under. The most friendly uh, poll in the last week came from economist YouGov, which had him at three points under. You look into the numbers a little bit further, though, you see where Biden is really in trouble. He's almost 23 points underwater on the economy. 23 points underwater. On immigration, 24 points underwater. On foreign policy, 12 points under. And overall, the average for the direction of the country right now, 37 and a half points under. The mask mandates are deeply unpopular, and the Biden administration is fighting to keep them in place. Is it any wonder that these numbers are so bad for Joe Biden? Is it any wonder that the Democrats are staring at an avalanche? coming down the mountain in 2022. It shouldn't be. If you pay any attention at all, it's not really something all that surprising. That most recent poll, the Rasmussen poll, April 17th, 2022, Joe Biden's approval rating is at, or April 18th, 2022, uh, Joe Biden's approval rating is at 44%. uh, That's six points under where Donald Trump was. Donald Trump, at this point in his presidency, ahead of a midterm that got rid of Republican majorities in Congress, Donald Trump had 50% approval. And Biden is six points under that. That is a big warning sign. And there's no way that Biden's really going to recover from that because everything is still set to be Maybe a little less bad, but still bad by the time the election rolls around. 232-1542 if you want to call in and be part of the show. When we come back, what's going on in the legislature? I've got some thoughts on the budget and a couple other proposals coming out. When we come back on the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Thrilled to be with y'all today up at KPEL just now uh, in the last hour. Um, we have a story up. Louisiana teachers one step closer to getting pay raises. Now, as per usual, let me go ahead and give the disclaimer. I, Joe Cunningham, am an employee of the school system and therefore 
I have a conflict of interest because, of course, I would love extra money going into my bank account each and every month. However, you guys who have been listening, you know that I have questioned the raises every time the issue has come up. The southern average for teachers is fifty is just over fifty-five thousand a year. Louisiana teachers get paid an average of fifty-one and a half thousand during the 2019-2020 school year. That's twelfth among the sixteen states in the region. Both of these figures, by the way, sit below the national average of sixty-four thousand. On Monday, today, the House Appropriations Committee approved a spending plan for the next fiscal year. This fiscal plan calls for $1,500 in pay raises for teachers and $750 for support staff. This raise, if it passes the full House and Senate and is signed by Governor John Bill Edwards, would push teacher salaries up $3,300 over the last four years. Now, If you will recall, not too long ago, Governor John Bell Edwards, at the behest of his allies in the teacher unions, gave us a $1,000 pay raise a few years back. That roughly equates, before deductions in the paycheck, to about $88 a month. Once those deductions come out, you're looking at around $50 a month. $50 a month for a family of three or four, especially right now, is probably somewhere between one-third to a quarter of a weekly or bi-weekly grocery bill. It's nothing. So $1,500 would be a little over $100 per month for for a 12-month pay schedule. With deductions, you're looking at just under $100 per month added. So maybe in some cases, two-thirds, two uh, one-half to two-thirds of a grocery bill for teachers. Teachers who have been through, and I can tell you this from personal experience, hell, the last two and a half years. Teachers have gone through a lot. And at no point have we looked around and looked at our pay stubs and think, boy, if I could, I, I could just do with $1,500 more a year. That, that would just, happy days are here again for that extra $100 a month. I've maintained that teachers need a lot more. On the flip side of that, we need to be sure that we're paying for it in a way that it can be funded by the state year after year. Because I'm never comfortable with the, sp- with the state spending money coming in from the federal government because that money can run out. Here's the breakdown of the uh, of of what the budget's looking at right now. Fifteen hundred dollar pay raises for K twelve teachers and seven fifty raises uh, seven hundred fifty dollars school uh, raises for school support staff, roughly hundred and fifty million dollars. Thirty two million dollars for higher education faculty pay raises. $97 million in other higher education funding. $10.5 million in free community college tuition for adults 21 and older in five high-demand fields. $40 million to expand early childhood education. 
$500 million to replenish the state's unemployment trust fund to prevent triggering attacks on all businesses. $450 million on the water system improvements throughout the state. $33 million in Hurricane Ida recovery funds. That $450 million on water system improvement throughout the state, absolutely, definitely need it. $33 million for Hurricane Ida recovery, absolutely need it. $500 million to replenish the state's unemployment trust fund to prevent triggering attacks on all businesses. Uh, the employment trust fund was apparently drained during the COVID pandemic. Okay, I can see that. Not necessarily happy about it, but I can see it. $40 million plus to expand early childhood education. Gonna need more details on that one. $10.5 million in free community college tuition for adults 21 and older in five high-demand fields. Going to need more details on that one. $97 million in other higher education funding. Definitely going to need to see more on that one. Are these projects going to continuously be funded? I'm not sure that it's a really good idea to use money that comes from the $3 billion in windfall from the government or uh, three, three billion in windfall. I think that's from our own revenue. So I think I said from the federal government earlier, but the three billion in windfall that we have. I'm not comfortable with that windfall becoming a regular expense if we're not guaranteed to have something of a windfall every year. And with the way our state's managed, I'm not sure we'll ever get that. 232-1542, if you want to join in, we've got Jerry on the line. Jerry, how are you today? Very good. Hey, I was just curious. Um, I, I believe teachers should get paid more for what they have to put up with, mm -hmm. with some of the people, you know, the kids in schools nowadays. Yeah. I have a daughter-in-law that is a teacher in a different state, and I asked her. They had almost forty million dollars of COVID aid from the federal government, and I asked her how much of that has reached the teachers or the classroom, and her response was zero. I was curious in the Lafayette School District, which you, I'm assuming, what you teach in, how much money did we get from the federal government and how much have you seen of that money? I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. Now, our school board uh, used the money in, and I'm going to say creatively and it's going to sound like it's derogatory, but it's not. Our school board did a couple, had a couple of novel ideas in order to help through the coronavirus pandemic. First of all, we did uh, we did see a pay raise. We also have seen some stipends come in. So those, those stipends, those uh, some one-time extra payments to help teachers who have been struggling through the pandemic. They also used some of the money to reinstate the COVID days. Remember, we had... Uh, we had we have regular sick days, but also because of how infectious COVID-19 was, this was a novel coronavirus that could knock teachers out for a long time and really cut into our sick days. So by federal law, we were given extra sick days, the COVID days. Those ran out after a certain period of time. Our school board used some of that federal money to reinstate those. So if you got COVID after that time period ran out, your days could still be covered without going into your regularly issued sick days. There's also, there's also a funding plan in place. The school board is allowing teachers, because of teacher shortages and because of substitute shortages, 
other teachers have had to use their planning time to go sit in on another teacher's class if somebody didn't show up to work that day. The school board is paying teachers roughly about $20 an hour to sit in somebody's classroom if they lose their planning period. So they're getting reimbursed for that planning time they're legally supposed to have in order to offset that as well. So we've seen some of the money come through, not as like direct payments necessarily, although we have seen that too, but we've seen the school board put in policies, use that money to pay for policies that do alleviate some of the strain from teachers. Not all of the strain. Some teachers may say not enough of the strain, but it still uh, still alleviates some of the problem. Yeah, I was just curious because the, the district she teaches in is a smaller district, mm -hmm. and they got in excess of $40 million. Yeah. And I, I'd, I'd be curious to see what Lafayette Parish uh, school um, systems got mm -hmm. from the federal government, just the federal dollars for that. Because... Um, I don't know. I, I, I hate to be pessimistic, but I'd be willing to bet they wasted most of it. You know, the thing about Lafayette Parish School System is that they're one of the few in the state to adopt that. Uh, you remember that push we had for the Louisiana checkbook years back? Um, right. We The Lafayette Parish School System actually has an online checkbook where you can see the money that's spent. So if you can go, you can I forget the exact website, but you can go search there. And if you can dig through the numbers, you can find that. I will reach out to somebody and try to have somebody come in and talk with us about that, because that is an interesting question, and we do want to see the transparency there. So I will put in a call about that, see what I can get, and have that on the show in the future. Thank you, Jerry, very much for the call. We've got to go ahead and take a break. When we come back, more of your calls and what else is going on in the legislature here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to call in, be part in of the show. So... Moon talked this morning a lot about uh, the the environmental efforts in the state legislature, spending a lot of money to promote and 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 get uh, get wind energy development off our southern coast. And I'm kind of 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 mixed minds about this, and not because I'm some environmentalist wacko type person. Any opportunity to develop new sources of energy and overall get energy costs in the state of Louisiana down, I'm for. What I don't want and what the environmentalists are trying to force on us and what I'm afraid the legislature is going to fall into the trap of is focusing exclusively on these alternative energies. I would rather see investment in wind farms that's equal to or less than investment in natural gas, oil, etc., production here in the state and offshore. But you know what's really funny? The left is pushing for uh, all sorts of wind energy. Um, they're, they're pushing for all these alternative fuels, but they don't actually want to endure the ugly sight of windmills uh, off near their homes. Jim Garrity at National Review had this out this morning, and I thought this was a hilarious story. Headline, wealthy progressives, we love wind power except when it's near us. Back in 2009, it's hard to overstate Senator Ted Kennedy's role in delaying Cape Wind thus far. Efforts in Congress to torpedo the project, often by stealthy legislative or regulatory means, have come directly or indirectly from Kennedy's office, project backers say, 
They add that Kennedy and his staff behave as if stopping their project is the senator's top legislative priority. Kennedy's staff itself has been quick to insist that the senator's disapproval stems from environmental and cost-benefit objections, not a personal desire to keep the waters off the Kennedy compound free from turbines. But the MMS report, oddly enough, specifically noted that the project would impede the view from the home of its most high-profile opponent. Cape Wind will also have an adverse visual impact on 28 historic properties, including the Kennedy Compound, Nantucket Historic District, Nobiska Point Lighthouse, Monomoy Point Lighthouse, and several other lighthouses and proposed or existing historic districts. That was back in 2009. This morning, a dozen giant wind turbines are on track to start spinning roughly 50 miles offshore from some of the country's ritziest beach towns. That is, unless last-ditch efforts by local residents can stop one of the country's first offshore wind projects. South Fork Wind will power 70,000 homes around East Hampton, New York, when it starts generating electricity next year. One of the few, sorry, one of the few remaining snags could be a group of residents of exclusive of the exclusive hamlet of Wainscott who don't want to see the cable carrying power from the windmills to be buried under a street that runs to the beach. Even though the digging has begun, they are still waging legal battles on several fronts that could delay construction or further complicate the project. Won't somebody please think of how these wind turbines will ruin the views of some of the richest people in the country? Rich white progressives do not want to see wind turbines and large energy cables in their beach view. Otherwise, yeah, absolutely. We need to go to alternative energy. We need to get rid of oil and gas, all that. I think that's pretty funny. 232-1542. We've got a few minutes left. On the line with us now is Jethro. Jethro, how are you this afternoon? I'm doing fabulous, man. Uh, I can tell you the problem we're off our Gulf Coast is we don't have the infrastructure for uh, windmills out there because you got to run a cable. We have pipelines, but you don't have, you'd have to run it uh, uh, 30, 40 miles before you probably get it into a transmission line or a line to hook into. Yeah. Uh, everybody drives the Causeways bridges, and we drive the uh, I-10 bridge, and we drive the, the other I-10 on the other side. You have big transmission lines. This is my million-dollar idea that nobody's ever jumped on. Mm-hmm. I'm running across Lake Pontchartrain. Why can't you put a windmill right there by the transmission line, run a little cable into it, connect it into the freaking transmission line that's running across there, and you should be able to put a windmill by every pole out there, and you can make a plenty of energy like that. Is the Save the Lake people going to let that happen? Tulane Environmental Law Clinic going to let that happen? Probably not. No. It's in their backyard. Yeah. No, that's like I was yeah. just saying in that last story. It's they they yeah. don't they want they they like the idea of it. They don't want to see it in their own backyard. And, and what's what's happening right now too? Just to let everybody know they're pulling out the idle, what they call idle arm, mm-hmm. uh, excuse me, idle iron out of the Gulf of Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, Obama started that after the BP thing because that's just platforms not in use no more. That's our Jupiter. That's where the uh, fish hang out at. Mm-hmm. So. Really, if we could put windmills out there and little platforms for them, that would enhance our fishing that we're losing by them pulling out the idle iron. Yeah. You know, you're right. Um, but, it, it's what, in theory, 
sir. In, in theory, do you think that wind farms off the southern coast, when you know we have pretty active hurricane seasons, do you think that could actually generate decent power for South Louisiana, let's say? Not before or after the storms because the infrastructure would be knocked out. Mm-hmm. I just went through Homa today. Really, I went all the way to Bird today. And uh, it's still a mess. Yeah. You know, it looks like Lake Charles. Mm-hmm. Lake Charles, if you go south of Lake Charles, they got it pretty much taken together. But what we're looking at, two years? Yeah. Jethro, yeah. Jethro thank you very much for the call. So, we've we've got to start yeah, wrapping I'll up. You, man, later. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, and again, thank you to uh, both of our callers for today. And of course, as always, if you want to call in, 232 1542 uh, on the air every day from three to four. You can also find me online by going to Twitter and finding at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. And if you've missed any portion of the show, you want to go back and listen, check out the podcast form. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, whatever podcast platform you use. Check out everything I'm writing at redstate.com. We'll start writing again uh, first thing tomorrow morning. And if waiting 23 hours for the show to begin again is too much, I've got some good news. I'll be joining Bernie and Ian tomorrow morning in the 8 o'clock hour for uh, Acadiana's Morning News. So definitely be sure to tune in then because I always like to have fun and try to throw them off. Thank you guys for listening. We're going to take a 23-hour break. and We'll be back with the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.